local USCW 3000. We are the union. The union is us. everyone. My name is Michaela Roberts, and I would like to welcome you to our local UFCW 3000 podcast. For years, I have tried to come up with a way to summarize and explain what our union does and why it's so important. The thing is, it's impossible to accurately explain all of that within just a few minutes. The best way to really get into everything with the detail that it deserves is with podcast episodes. Within each episode, we will go over aspects of our union, what our union has accomplished, how it has impacted the working field for the better, how it has brought our community together, and how we continue to make positive changes. I will share member stories, the stories of our reps, and give updates on things like contract bargaining, the new safe staffing law, organizing activities, and so many other things. My goal is that after listening to these episodes, you not only have a better understanding of just how much our union does, but an appreciation for everyone's hard work and hopefully inspire some of you to get more involved yourselves. I want to encourage everyone to learn more about what we are doing and speak out against unfair labor practices. Stand up, fight back. We can do this together. Our local UFCW 3000 union has over 50,000 members working in grocery, retail, healthcare, meatpacking, cannabis, coffee shops, and other industries across Washington State, Northeast Oregon, and Northern Idaho. And that's just our local UFCW 3000 union. UFCW International is across all of the U.S. and in Canada. Our local UFCW 3000 union represents nearly 27,000 workers in grocery stores like Safeway, Fred Meyer, QFC, and Albertsons, as well as many other smaller grocery stores like PCC Natural Markets. We represent over 22,000 workers in healthcare across the state, including Multicare Health System, Harrison Medical Center, Kaiser Permanente, Children's Hospital, Sacred Heart Medical Center, and the Providence Health System, as well as other healthcare employees at their work sites. We represent over 4,300 in retail stores like Macy's, Fred Meyer, and Bartell Drugs. Big corporations and political operatives push down wages and benefits so that working people can't meet the basics to care for and support our families. These forces hold on to power by pitting us against each other on the job and in our communities. The antidote to corporate power that seeks to divide is collective worker power that unites. When we use our collective power through our union and at work and in our communities to assure that each of us does better, we all do better. By organizing more people to join our union and raise their voices with us, we exercise our collective power to be stronger leaders 
creating a world where the voices of the working people are at the center of decision-making at every workplace. Through our union, we can all lead and create a world where our families and communities thrive. Our union's growing number of active member leaders are the catalyst for change in every workplace and in every contract negotiation. Members lead at work and in our communities through action, compassion, and collective power. By showing and sharing our victories, we bring confidence to those who want to organize for change. We win when we build unity in our workplaces. Our union will always reflect the strength of our membership's diversity, and together we will fight for better, safer, and more fulfilling lives. We are the union. I want to share a quote from our UFCW 3000 website by Pam Millen. I apologize if I say your name wrong. Maybe pronounced Milan. Pam Millen, union organizing committee member at a multi-care clinic, said, Before the union election, the company tried to persuade us to vote against the union. They said they would make things better and asked us to give them a chance. The way we saw it, if they really were going to treat us better... They shouldn't have any problem putting it down in writing, in a legal contract. We worked hard to win our election, and now we have a guaranteed union contract we can count on. Now that we've gone over the basics of what our union does, I would like to introduce Christina Wood. I have Christina Wood with me, who has been a union member for quite a while. So I'd like to ask you, Christina, Mm -hmm. if you'd be comfortable introducing yourself and telling us how long you've been a union member and just give me a brief description. How did you get involved? (laughs) It's a big story. (laughs) Where shall I start? Let's start at the beginning. All right. Well, I'm Christina. I'm a UFCW 3000 union member. I actually became part of the SEIU 1199 Northwest through Evergreen Hospital in 2007. Before that, I was never union. I didn't understand. Other than being in a logging family, yeah. And construction work family, you got in with the local union and I didn't. Everybody's like, you have to be union. You don't <laughs> don't work a non-union job. All right. So when it presented, I'm like, my mom said so. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it makes sense because honestly, until you start working in a career field or for an employer that has a union, most people don't really understand the importance of it. Or like you said, if they have family members who are in it, then mm-hmm. it makes sense because they get that background information. But in other words... It's not generally a conversational topic at a dinner table. No. And like I said, I still didn't know. Because when I went into orientation, I'm like, oh, union. Like I said, mom said I should. Yeah. So I did. And from there, it was basic. Yeah, I'm a union member. I pay dues. Like you said, most people don't know. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know until 2000, was it 10? I don't remember if it was 2010 or 2011 when Evergreen was having contract negotiations. I know that I was out on maternity leave. And they needed to do a picket. So then that's when I started to realize what that involves. It was, they had gone to the table many times and we were, you know, butting heads with corporate versus union and this, the members and the, they couldn't come to a conclusion. So that was the next step. But again, that's all I knew. Right. So I was, these pieces hadn't even come together. I'm like, eh, you know, I took it as they're not agreeing. They're fighting. <laughs> what <are> the line? <laughs> it's like, I don't know. You know, and I. I remember when I was talking to members at my facility when we were bargaining, that was the response I got for most people. I don't know. They're having a hard time agreeing on a contract, Mm -hmm. but they don't really understand. And that's what this podcast is going to start shedding some Mm -hmm. light on. We're going to make it so that people do understand. Right. And we'll get into bargaining more so on a later episode because it's so detailed. It's huge. It is. It's so detailed. And there's so much, so many more components to bargaining and negotiating than anybody can even 
wrap your head around right now. Right. <laughs> I still don't know. I've been on a bargaining team, but it was it was a great experience and I want more members to be able to experience that. But it makes sense that most bargaining teams are pretty small, which it needs to be to be productive. But right. it was nice to hear that it was picketing and collective organizing that helped bring you in and gave mm-hmm. you a better understanding of what our union does for workers. It's eye-opening. It's yeah. very eye-opening. When we moved back from Linwood, I got on at Grace Harbor Community mm-hmm. Hospital or Harbor Regional Health. Recent change okay. about what, a year or two years ago? Something like that. Yeah. And this Ish. is a local hospital in Aberdeen for those that don't know or those who are not from Grace Harbor. Yes. Because we had moved from Linwood and I've gone on as a CNA there and it was only per diem. And mm-hmm. I shouldn't say only, but being in a local hospital, it's very hard to get your foot in the door. So when the opportunity arose, I jumped. I was it. Okay. And real quick for our listeners. For those who are not in the medical field, what does per diem mean? As needed. You essentially, here's the days that I can work. I can work Mondays and Thursdays from 2 to 11.30. I give those to the employer. The employer puts them on a piece of paper. She fills the full-time, the part-time spots first. Yes, I'm available, but I'm not guaranteed any hours whatsoever. So the idea is if you're per diem, try to have a very wide, very open availability If you Mm -hmm. want to get your foot in and really kind of push, get more full time. Otherwise, per diem is amazing if you're um, going back to school because you can kind of set your own schedule. You don't have to no conflicts. But being, you know, new mom, it's like you you kind of have There's a lot of advantages to being per diem. Oh, yeah. Huge advantages. And plus, per diems are usually the first ones on the call list when there's a sick call. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you're always guaranteed some kind of hours. Even if the schedule's posted and you see that you're not scheduled right away, it doesn't mean you won't get shifts in. And it just depends. Per diems are great. Oh, yeah. And with some facilities, depending on what is written in your contract, Mm -hmm. since you won't necessarily be getting a lot of sick time and vacation. I know we've had that new Washington law change a couple of years ago. Uh So now that everyone does. But before that, people didn't. And so our way of kind of fixing that and making it easier on those who are willing to work per diem is there would be a differential, like a 10 to 15 percent pay increase in lieu of benefits. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, a lot of contracts have that now for full-timers. Yeah, I noticed that they started increasing it again after COVID. Mm-hmm. And if you want to opt out of benefits and vacation mm-hmm. and sick, you still get the Washington State paid leave. Exactly. You can take that increase in pay. Yeah. But every choice has a consequence, good and bad. So. Exactly. And like you said, you're not always guaranteed your hours. Mm-mm. So it really is just what's going to work best for you and your family. Exactly. Yeah. So but, backtracking. Sorry, sorry about no, that. No, no, no. You're fine. You're fine. You know, that's how you and I talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're very roundabout way. We'll get yeah. to all of our points. With five side stories. <laughs> yeah. So I knew Grace Harbor was actually union, but being per diem, you're not covered on the contract. Correct. So it wasn't until I was there about six months and I got into the lab and I worked with John Waring. Yes. I know John Waring very well. He's a good friend of ours. Yes. Yes. What's really cool about when I got into the lab was I grew up in the lab. Mm-hmm. My grandma was a lab assistant and I used to go to work with her on the weekends because my mom was a single mom. So we'd go to work, you know, before right. HIPAA, you know, they'd smoke and do a blood count, the Bunsen burners in the micro, <laughs> and, you know. Way back when. Yeah. You know, <laughs> gloves were optional. Oh, that's scary. <laughs> were optional. I don't think I could have done that. <laughs> But I was nine. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't know. Yeah. So John was a microbiologist then. And then my grandma's supervisor, Jane, was my supervisor when I went to the lab. And a lot I'm of the... Kidding. Yeah. And Beth Howe, who's also a union member, knows me as Chrissy because she remembers me doing my homework in the lab lunchroom. Oh, my gosh. 
Yeah. So I grew up in the lab. We really did. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of weird to have these people as my superiors. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Not just the adult telling me to shh, be quiet. (laughs) But when I became an actual union member, Grace Harbor was a private sector. Yeah. So I had that initiation fee to start. And it wasn't until, man, when did they go public? They went public. Gosh. I want to say somewhere around six years ago, maybe give or take a year or two. Was it 16, 17? Yeah, somewhere. We don't know. I don't know. I don't but know. at some point we went, the hospital, the hospital went, went public. public. Yeah. <laughs> and those who don't know, public sector doesn't have initiation fees. Correct. Whereas hub or private sector does. Yes. It's, it's a quote unquote closed shop. They don't like to say that, <laughs> but that's the difference. But I wasn't a union steward or anything like that. I was just a member again. Yeah, start of your career. It makes sense. Right. And still didn't really know what that meant. I did know that I read the contract a lot. And I don't know why Grace Harbor has five separate contracts to this day. So the reason why is because it makes it easier to organize all the information. If you were to put all the contracts in one giant one, people are going to get frustrated because just one subject can be different on all of the contracts. Oh, no, no, no. I, I mean, I get that, but they could have... Like, I don't know why medical records and business office are two separate contracts. That's what I'm... <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking back to when I was bargaining. I bargained for the technical contract. Mm-hmm. We cool. also had everyone else on our team from the other contracts there. And we just had to... I know that it was it was a process of... Because when you're bargaining, you go through the contract sentence by sentence, mm-hmm. paragraph by paragraph, and it's all of the contracts, right? It takes right. some detailed time. Right. So when we got to other contracts, there were certain things that we added on that were just specifically for that one. Mm -hmm. But I think it also just makes it easier as an employee and a union member when you go through and you're questioning something to real quick pull up a 15 page contract rather than a 30 to 40 page contract. Because if you added their contracts into one big one, it's still pretty tedious. Mm -hmm. And then I think that will lead to more errors and possibly more confusion. Makes sense. Yeah. Where was I going with that? Oh, I read the contract. Yes, a lot. A lot. (laughs) And what was kind of cool about John, John was very, this is, if you have a problem, you come to me. Oh, absolutely. He was great (laughs) about that. And honestly, he had to have had that thing memorized from cover to cover. It didn't matter how often it was changed or bargained because Mm -hmm. whenever I had a question, I always went right to him and he could instantaneously tell me the answer. And it was almost word to word what was in the contract. Yeah. Very knowledgeable. But that's because John Waring was one of the people who actually brought our union into the facility. Mm Mm-hmm. Just so you guys know, I fully plan on getting John Waring on here for an episode, and we're going to go into the history of how our union became involved with the facility and how Mm -hmm. much it changed everything. I mean, it brought up the wages. Tremendously. Hugely. And it's the, I think, honestly, I really believe it's the only reason that that hospital still has a lab is because of John Waring and all that he's done and our union Mm -hmm. has done working collectively to make that happen. Because other words, all of our lab work would be sent out, Yeah, be outsourced. So we kept jobs within the community. Yeah. Because I remember them having a conversation about wanting to outsource micro. And I was like, that's ridiculous. Could you imagine the delay on getting back such important information on our our patients? No. And we're out here literally in no man's land. And then there's, you know, more no man's land before you get to the next. Right. No man's land hospital. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so it's like, no, that's just silly. That would just delay critical patient care. Too much. Too Too scary. Agreed. So how did you end up getting pulled in and having a better understanding of the union? Was it when you changed departments? It was when I changed departments. And no offense to John Waring, because I love the man. Yes, <laughs> me too. Because he was so involved in it that I could ask him anything, but I never really learned. 
it kind of allowed you to be more relaxed, right? Yeah. Because it's almost like having that parent in there. Hey, mom. Hey, dad. Hey, yeah. so-and-so. Can you tell me this without having to actually mm-hmm. learn and do it yourself? Mm-hmm. And I can tell you what actually made me realize that I can do this. <laughs> was I had a scheduling. We I was night shift. So I worked 10 p.m. to 6.30 a.m. They took me off my schedule to cover, which, okay, so night shift weekends are Friday, Saturday, not Saturday, Sunday, like a day shifter. Correct. Okay. okay. For those who don't work healthcare, it's really hard to explain. <laughs> <laughs> it's just how it is. <laughs> it's just how it is. If you work night shift, it's Friday, Saturday, your day's off, not Saturday, Sunday. <laughs> Correct. So when they did that, they took away my premium when they Mm -hmm. put me on day shift. To shift it, they made it a Saturday-Sunday schedule. And I'm like, well, that's not what my letter of agreement was. Yes. So I went to John and I said, isn't this a deviation? And he's yeah. And he goes, well, why? And so I pled my case and I said, here's the reason. I work night shift. My weekends Mm -hmm. are Friday-Saturday. So if I come in and I'm working a day shift Sunday, I should be eligible for that premium. Because it's not my weekend. Yeah. And he goes, fair enough. I'll be right back. And I got it. He wanted me to plead my case. Tell me why. Yeah. Why am I going to go to bat for you? Why are we Mm -hmm. having an issue? Right. Which that was John's way of teaching. It is. And he was great at teaching. It wasn't shortly after that when I had built a relationship with OB. Yes. And they had posted an OB scrub tech and a secretary. Mm-hmm. And they were on me to come apply, come apply, come apply. I'm like, I can't do that. I, lab's home. Lab's always been home. Especially when you grew up in it. Yeah. Finally, I gave and I had talked to Jane, supervisor. She's like, okay, you know, go ahead. The idea with healthcare is you always try to give your supervisor a heads up. So they're not, they're not blindsided when another department calls and says, hey. Right. It's, <laughs> it's professional. professional. Yes. So I applied. I had an interview and I got in it. And I was on the fence about taking it. Because lab was home. And I remember sitting in Jane's office, bawling my eyes out. She's like, are you waiting for me to give you permission to leave home? Yes. Aww. You can go. <laughs> okay, I'll go. <laughs> and I, I mean, it was hard. But once I got up into OB, it's nurses and techs. So there's WSNA and UFCW. And it was 21 at that time. Yes. And they are completely different contracts. Very different contracts. So what really pushed me, and I started talking to John a lot about it because low census. So there's not enough work for the amount of employees. So yes. they would low census somebody. But what they would do is low census the OB tech because a nurse can do both jobs, both jobs, which is a big no-no because now you're eliminating a job that's already secured by a different union. If that makes any sense of what I'm trying to it, say. It does make sense. The one thing I'm going to add in just for our listeners Please. When you were sent home on low census, that means that you either A, eat the money financially that you Mm -hmm. lost for not working that shift, or B, to get paid for that shift, you would have to use vacation time. Yeah. It's very frustrating when you're working and you're Mm -hmm. expecting to count on those hours and suddenly you're being told, hey, there's not enough work. We need someone to go home, which is great if you want to go home. But if you don't have those extra hours in the bank and Mm -hmm. you're not in a place where you can take the financial hit, it's a big deal. And it gets very stressful for people. Mm -hmm. And that's where you have to go back to the contract to find out, okay, what are the rules when we have to low census people? Who gets low census first? How do you determine that? And how do you determine that, Christina? I know that because there was only a handful of us that actually held that position of UFCW 21 at the time, OB Tech. WSNA. So technically, that's two different departments within a department. 
Yes. So if that makes this with different contracts, different rules, what applies to one doesn't apply to the other. Exactly. Because not all nurses could scrub. And what scrub means is that you are trained to stand in the OR next to the physician and across from the physician or the first assist and hand instruments during a C-section or during a vaginal birth that's in the OR or whatever. You're in charge of the OR. That's what it is. A big job, and you're also helping with prepping the sterile field so that they can mm-hmm. get started. Yes. So think of it as two departments within a department. So what they would do is, if there was a low census, they would low census the OB tech and put in a nurse, which is a big no-no because we, if you looked at their policy, you needed to have an OB tech on shift every shift, twenty-four-seven. Good to know. Yeah. This is how this is how I became a steward. Yes. And this was also <laughs> when we really started bonding over the union contract and the difficulties uh-huh. with it, because I was a new steward at the time. Mm-hmm. So we spent a lot of time together on a break or uh-huh. on our lunch or before and after the shift. Yep. Going over what that meant and how it applied in these situations. Right. Exactly. I started being more vocal to supervisors about you can't take an OB tech away to put in a nurse. That's the uh that's no, because now your WSNA member is doing a UFCW 21's contractual work. It became this big old battle for a while. And finally, I just, <laughs> I remember getting a hold of Kathy McPhail. I'm like, I want to be a steward. Yeah, you were ready to step, <laughs> step up the game. Like, you were ready for the fight. I was ready and for defending the fight. yourself and your coworkers and your guys' rights. And yeah, it's, it's a sticky situation to have to deal with all that. It is, but you know, I met with Kathy at Starbucks. <laughs> I got my <laughs> steward training. Kathy is our union rep at the time who represented the contract for that particular facility. Mm -hmm. She did. And then, um, but even once I did that and I made it known that I was a steward, I still, it was an uphill battle Mm -hmm. because before I would bring up something, even if I didn't feel it was right, I knew it wasn't right. I needed to make sure that I had that backing. I needed to look at the policy and the contract because here's your policy, but your contract trumps the policy. I was just going to ask that if you have differing Mm -hmm. opinions Mm -hmm. on wording or if the contract says one thing, but your policy says the other, Mm -mm. which do you follow? Contract. Always the contract. So the contract always trumps policies in a facility. Uh That's great to know. You know, I didn't know that. Think of it as this might come out stumbled. So hang on with me. (laughs) Okay. Policy says every Friday you get a cupcake. Ooh, I like cupcakes. Well, good. Because I'm vegan and I I do not. (laughs) Actually, don't either. There's too much sugar, but I was rolling with it. <laughs> contract says that you get two cupcakes on Friday. Okay. So that contract trumps that policy. Okay. Okay. Now say law comes in. I'm sorry, you don't get any cupcakes. Well, the law trumps it all. Oh, so okay. you don't yes. get one. So does that make sense? It does make sense because it also goes into legal. It's the legality of it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. I appreciate that explanation. I learned that from another union rep, Ryan, who's actually just, I think he just went to member resources. Oh, did he? Yeah. He is another man that can just, I have a question. And then he just spouts off. Sure. I hope that someday (laughs) we reach that level where we just instantaneously have an answer with confidence. Right? (laughs) Yeah, now it's like, I think I know. And I might. Hold on, let me go double check. (laughs) Yeah. And I'll put you on the calendar for a week from now with the answer. Yes. Because it's Uh, very important that if you guys go to your union stewards with a question, that needs to be on your break. It cannot be uh -uh. on during your shift when you're working. That needs to be done during your lunch break, during your actual break, before shift, after shift. That's when you can do union work and help do all that per all of your contracts. 
Mm -hmm. And don't be offended if your sewer says, I can't talk to you right now. Yeah, because you're they're working. And I had mm -hmm. to say that to a lot of people or, or mm -hmm. I'd be running down the hallway and I'd say, hey, I'm really sorry. I know you're on your break right now and you want to talk to me. Unfortunately, I can't. I got to do this. But if you go ahead and email me, text me, message me. Make sure it's from your private email, never from your company email. Yes, never ever your company email. It cannot be your work email. It needs to be your personal stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was the easiest way to deal with it all. Mm -hmm. And the difference between a steward and a rep. So a steward is an employee who takes it upon themselves to learn and understand the contract mm -hmm. better, get some additional training from their reps so that we can just help out so that we can listen to everything that's going on around us and complaints from our workers and keep tabs on everything and then notify our union rep, hey, there may or may not be some issues or questioning with sick leave changes since this new law was passed and how that's going to affect mm -hmm. us. Or my coworker really wants to talk to a rep. Here's a highlight of what's going on. We read the contract and this is what we think the answer is. However, can you go ahead and get in touch and just make sure that we have all of our I's dotted and mm -hmm. our T's crossed so that it's correct. They will do whatever they can to help you yes even cry we'll get you for a minute. <laughs> so, right. so, so for example if you're gonna get in trouble from your boss you're getting pulled into a meeting yep i'm not confident in doing that which is why you need to know your wine garden rights mm -hmm. and contact your rep and your rep will go in but as a steward i can say no i'm really sorry i'm not comfortable doing that however let me immediately get you in contact with your rep so that we can get you some help yep take it away backtracking to what we were sorry like we said, we'll get all of the subjects covered in a roundabout way with other mini stories. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we so, basically delved into how I you, became a steward. Yeah, how you became a steward. So the thing was, because that had set a precedence, mm -hmm. precedence, not precedence. Who cares how she didn't know? <laughs> so anyway, um, that it was okay to low census. It was okay to put a nurse in over an OV tech, all of this stuff. And me coming in, I ruffled feathers. And it really bothered a lot of people, even the members of UFCW. Mm -hmm. So I kind of had a, it was more of like. You felt more pressure. I, it was a lot of pressure. It actually mentally got to me for a while because I was within the department. It was a locked department. Yeah. And, and it's stressful. It's very stressful. And then, of course, not only was I union steward trying to ch make a change and still kind of hitting resistance, a lot of resistance. I was also coming from lab and OB was not um, real compliant with some stuff that pertained to lab. So now you've got a lab professional, which, by the way, I kept all my competencies up to continue to do lab work, drawing blood, helping prep, whatever in OB. So I had like a, a dual thing. I would hold them accountable. So not only was I a union steward trying to make change, I was telling people that you're doing your job wrong. <laughs> On top of holding them accountable to the contract. I'm now holding you accountable to other things. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I, was, I didn't go in almighty and you have to listen to me. No, I was trying to make a positive change for everybody. So it flowed. Well, there's a reason why we have a contract. There's a reason uh -huh. why we have certain policies in place for lab. And OB and CNAs. And, and every department and all of our mm -hmm. things. Yeah, um, that really, really got me involved. And again, I always relied on John. Sometimes I just could not talk to anybody mm -hmm. or if I had already talked to them and I was still getting resistance. resistance, I needed somebody with a bigger shoe. Yeah, that makes sense. And I rarely went to our rep because John was so readily available and he knew it and he was able to help me 
would just fix it. And it's also easier when changes are happening or mm-hmm. a clear understanding of how things are with the contract that you have more than one person telling you how it is supposed to be interpreted. Yes. When you hear it from multiple people rather than just one person, it can make more sense because the, maybe the way one person explains it doesn't compute when somebody else explains it. Exactly. It's like validation. Yeah. So from there, I actually went out and had surgery and I got to pick it at Grace Harbor. Yes, we did. Yes. Because we did informational I... picketing, which is different from a strike. Informational picketing mm-hmm. is when your members of that facility and or workplace go out and hold signs, whether it's in front of the building or it's on the main street going up through town, which yeah. I believe is where we started picketing out at, at the time. And it's holding up signs and it's just getting the community's attention, getting the public's attention, saying, hey, we have been fighting for a contract. We're not making headway. Hey, we need an increase in our wages. We need better benefits for your healthcare workers. We're trying to mm-hmm. support not only you guys, but also ourselves and our family. And that is a great way to help make changes is the informational picketing. So different from a strike, you can only do this on your break or on your day off. You cannot miss a shift. You cannot call out sick. Nope. Mm-mm. If I remember correctly, that whole contract, that went forever. It did. I think it was well over a year. Yeah. And a lot of people don't realize that if your contract's up, they think, oh my gosh, now we're not union. No, they have to abide by the contract that even if it is quote unquote expired until there's a new one that's in place. So a lot of if it takes years. Yeah. It's interesting, but to walk on the line with everybody and we walked in front of the hospital and we looped around. The biggest thing is you cannot impede on anything. So there was no patient interruption. There was no blocking of emergency vehicles. There's no blocking of patients, families, staff coming and going. Yeah. We're trying to get the community's attention, not hurt the community. Right. I just wanted to make that clear because I'm glad that you did. You know, it's all about unity and coming together in solidarity and bringing the attention of the public that something is wrong and we need your help. We need your support. Yeah. That was pretty cool. And what was great about it is my kids walked. Yeah. A lot of us had our families with us. Yeah. We had the bright yellow scarves on. And Mm -hmm. as a matter of fact, I found one. (laughs) Man, I've been hauling that around. I still have some in my closet. (laughs) And I use them when it's cold and we go out to do picketing. Yep. So what happened after that in your life that drew you more into the union? Because you've been more involved since then. Mm -hmm. I think was a great explanation of the beginnings of how you got in. Yeah. I really started to look at more of the union when I got hurt because it was an on the job. So it's a work or an industrial injury and it required me to have surgery. Like it took me out. I remember. Yeah, it was horrible. So I ended up having to have an L5S1 laminectomy, disectomy Mm -hmm. because it uh, blew out a disc. Not blew out. Herniated severely. (laughs) Since I was out... Of course, you get your workers comp and then you have FMLA. So I was really watching FMLA Mm -hmm. and reading the contract on how that all works. You know, job security, your position versus job versus nothing. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We went through all of my vacation or no, not vacation, all my sick leave, my FMLA. And because I didn't heal fast enough and I was out of options, I got a formal letter, quote unquote, voluntarily terminating me. Wow. Yeah. I couldn't figure out, was that even legal? Because you would think if it's an on-the-job injury, which happened on shift, and I worked with you that night, I remember. I wasn't the only one that got hurt. I was just the only one that filled out a report, which I highly recommend any injury, regardless if it's big or small, fill out a report. Always. Always. Even if you don't seek medical attention. Yeah. Documentation. And if Mm -hmm. multiple things are happening to multiple people, regardless of the fact that you have a permanent injury from it, then it shows that something needs to be changed and addressed. Exactly. So that was in March. 
And I didn't get released to go back to work at all until June 23rd. And of course, this is all in the height of COVID. So Uh, that was the other thing. Could they legally have voluntarily terminated me in the height of a pandemic? Where we desperately needed workers. Yeah. So, and you know, and it was funny because I have multiple professional licenses Mm -hmm. that they could have brought me back and I even offered, but it is what it is. Fast forward. Yeah. After a period of time, when did you start working someplace else and where did you start working at? Um, I started at Mason General. I got on per diem in the lab. I was asking, who's the union? Not one lab person could tell me. Oh, really? I went, what? So I went snooping around in the break room because you know you're new. You don't really pay attention. Kathy McPhail's name was on the board. I'm like, you're USCW. <laughs> She's like, well, I don't even know what our contract is. Okay, so what is one place that every member can find a copy of their contract, regardless of whether they work, of of where they work? UFCW3000.org. That is correct. And it's on, when it pops up, it's on the right side, it says find your contract or rep. Click on it, type it in. But if you get in there and it's not pulling it up, if you just go into Google and type in Mason General Professional Union Contract. It will pop up. It will. You just need to pay attention to the year. Yeah. Because it'll pull up all of them. That That is true. So there's the backside. Yeah. yeah. The bottom line, the information you're looking for is on the website. Mm-hmm. If for some reason you don't have internet access, you can wait until you do and get a hold of your rep. Or you can look at your rep's business card, which is likely found in your break room. Mm-hmm. You know, or you even ask your steward. Yeah. Ask your union steward. The biggest thing is know who your stewards are. And they don't have to be in your department. <laughs> Correct. So like I'm a lab steward. I'm actually an advanced steward. You can go to a steward that is in, that's an RN that's covered. They can help you find it or help you with whatever you need as well. And yeah. if they don't know, they, you know, we figure it out. We exactly. figure it out. I'm a respiratory therapist. I help CNAs and RNs and housekeeping and mm-hmm. all sorts of different job classifications with right. their union questions. Yeah. The big thing is, is try not to answer questions from another union. Be specific. Be specific. You can guide them. I'm not saying ignore them. Just anyway. So that shocked the living crap out of me when nobody knew. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm like, kind of a big deal. Yeah. I'm like, well, are you a member? Well, how do I know? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> to find out if you're unsure if you remember, check your pay stub. It'll say UFCW dues or union dues, whatever yeah. union you are part of. But also it would be a part of your new employee orientation. It would be. The other part that would not be is if you are per diem and you go to full-time and you don't sign. Oh. That's where union stewards need to be diligent of who's coming on per diem and taking a full-time or part-time position. Correct. Or even, you don't even have to be a steward to be diligent about that. If it's your coworker that's changing their job position, and you know them. Yeah. Inform them. I'm going to step up and say, hey, just so you know, it would be really cool if you joined our union and helped us fight for things mm-hmm. and talk to them about it. You don't have to be a steward to talk to your coworkers about Mm-mm. it. So I started making it aware and I pulled the contracts and I read it to them because they had no idea what a wine garden was. What is a wine garden? A wine garden is if you are called into a meeting that can be disciplinary on up to termination, you can request for union representation. If you go into a meeting and it, they don't have to tell you what the meeting is for. People need to understand that. Hey, we, Michaela, I need you to come in on Friday at two for a meeting. What's about behavior? Yeah, or I just want to talk to you is what most employers will say. You can go into the meeting, and if it starts to turn into a question about something, it could be disciplinary, you just say, stop. I'm invoking my wine garden rights, and I want a union representation. And the meeting must cease. It's legal. They have to stop asking your questions, and they have to allow you to get in contact with your union rep. 
your union rep, a steward, an advanced steward, whichever. It's whatever you want, not what the manager wants. So be aware of that too. Your manager can throw out the suggestion of, well, do you just want to grab a rep that's already here so we can continue talking about this right now because I want to get this out of the way? Mm -hmm. Say no. You want to take your time. You want to go through things. It Mm -hmm. is up to you. And you don't even have to go to the meeting first. You can say, okay, I understand you want to have a meeting with me. However, I want to call my rep first and have my rep go with me. So let me talk to my rep and see what time works for us to meet with you. You can take control of that situation. Yeah, that's why I wanted to make it clear about if you go into the meeting and it starts because a lot of people don't realize they can stop it once they're in. And the big thing is, is that it's on the rep or the steward or whomever you are asking for representation. It's their schedule, not Mm -hmm. management's schedule. I want union representation and it's within reason. Obviously, I'm not going to go, hey, my rep's not available for three months. Three months. No, you know, what's really cool is UFCW 3000 um, reps usually within a couple weeks. Yeah. And they also work together. So if your rep isn't available for whatever reason for a period of time, they'll supply you with contact information for rep who is available and willing. Mm -hmm. And again, your stewards are also trained, but they have the right to say no because it's their, you know, what are they comfortable with? Yeah. And if you want a steward or a rep, that's up to you. That's your call. Mm -hmm. And just so you know, Wine Garden Rights, in case you want to do some research, is spelled W-E-I-N-G-A-R-T-E-N. And I specify that because the first time I heard about it, I said, what does wine and gardens have to do with our union stuff? Is this like a garden you go to and drink wine? <laughs> That's okay. I, well, for the longest time, even recently, I kept calling it a wine garden. Yeah. Like, yeah. we're going to go and to the orchard. I probably do say it that way, even though I shouldn't. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> but these rights were actually won in a 1975 Supreme Court decision with the basic guidelines that you have the right to union representation if you were called into a meeting with management that could lead to discipline. It is an unfair labor practice for management to deny an employee's request for a steward and continue with interrogation. In this case, an employee can refuse to answer management's questions. They don't want to let you leave, which they should. If you choose to stop it and say, I want my union rep with me, you don't have to say anything. Sit there and listen. They're just going to dig their hole deeper. Pretty much. And you know, with wine gardens, people that have just said, no, I don't think I need representation, but I'm going to go into it. Take your own notebook and pen. Yeah, write it down. And then you can still say, stop, I'm invoking my one grand rights. I want my union rep. But you have your notes too, especially if they continue on. I'm not saying that employees are going to do that, but you never know. You never know. And the other thing you can do if you don't want to take a pen and paper with you, email yourself afterwards. Yes. Same day within a reasonable time frame, email yourself and just save it in a file. That way you have it timestamped on the computer with a date and time that they can't come back later and say, well, you made that up or you exaggerated it. No, actually, I typed this up right after a meeting. This is how I felt. This was what was brought up and this is what was stated. Yeah. And again, from your personal email. Mm-hmm. Personal <laughs> email. So what happened after you got more involved and started educating them on the union? I heard that you made a big change happen there, right? I helped make a big change as you part of it. What did you do? Once I became full-time, I became an active steward. I had been working with Brandon, which I'm pretty sure I'm his BFF. (laughs) (laughs) There was a lot of things that were happening, and we went into crisis staffing, and other departments were given premiums. What, like extra pay for picking up a shift? Yeah, well, was it... Forgive me if I can't remember this exactly, but either... I think it was other hospitals. They were in crisis staffing, covid So everybody's working a long time and no breaks, no lunches. And, you know, you get burned out. Healthcare workers burn out hard and fast. 
Yes. Even when we tell you we're not, we're lying. We are. I'm dumpster um, fire. Yeah. I'm fine. You're fine. Everything's fine. Right. Just don't stop. <laughs> don't stop. <laughs> don't Can't stop. stop. Uh-uh. <laughs> so I had a lot of lab assistants come up to me. We have what's like little draw pods. So okay. we all have our own little sign. And all of a sudden I had the lead lab assistant come in, whip my curtain closed. And she goes, we're going to walk. I'm like, what? And she told me, she goes, we're so burned out. We're not getting recognition. We're coming in early. We're staying late. We're covering, but nobody is, we're not getting like a hazard pay, which was probably what you heard kind of go around for a while, yeah. hazard pay. Um, we're not getting any kind of premium beyond the standard contractual overtime, the double time. And I'm like, okay, I go, what, what can we do? She goes, I don't know, but if something doesn't change right now, because we've all complained about it, we're walking. All right. So I called Brandon. <laughs> called your union yeah. rep and um, told him what was going on. And he goes, we need to set up an LMC, which is labor management committee. So there was four of us that were on it. And this is what's been going on. This is what our job duties are when things are perfect. There's no such thing as perfect in healthcare. Right. It'll change in 10 minutes. But now we've gone from that. Now we're holding our regular job duties plus four more. Wow. Yeah. It just downward spiraled. I'm like, okay, so when can we do this? And um, if I remember correctly, Brandon said, let's get it on the books for this date. So I emailed mm-hmm. our director and their supervisor. And she's like, we're getting ready to, um, there's some vacations coming up for management. They want to push it out a couple weeks. And I, I just flat out looked right at her and said, no, you will not have a staff if we wait two weeks. And she looked at me and she kind of, in a two-year-old huffy, like, oh, okay. I go, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm just being real. Yeah, if you're we, being honest. You will not have staff. They will go. Guess what? In three days, we had our first meeting. That started the whole labor management committee to what does the lab assistants do and the techs because we're all in the same contract. Okay. So how does this shift? Why is it more now, you know, from that meeting, what was real positive, they actually implemented the lean program, mm-hmm. which is where they simplify your work area, your work. Low. And then they also had another company come in to track us, I guess. I don't remember what the name of the company is, but essentially... They okay. wanted to double check. Mm-hmm. The timings. How much time do you spend with the patient? Right. How much time are you on the phone with the doctor's office? Is your workload actually what you're saying it is? Exactly. A third party. Yes. So they came in and started doing that. And there was a huge change. And then we started getting applicants. So that was huge. But in the same time that was going on, we were fighting for more pay. There was three of us. Two other stewards and myself and then Brandon and then the board for Mason General, we were all talking about it and that our wage was not current or met standards. It wasn't to scale with everyone else. There we go. Right. So it wasn't competitive. And if you don't have a competitive wage scale, why is someone going to want to apply there? Why would they apply at a place where they're going to make less than everyone else doing the same job? You wouldn't, which is a huge problem that a lot of rural hospitals have. Mm -hmm. Rural hospitals means a hospital that is far out from the city, an hour plus away, Mm -hmm. usually a smaller facility. That has very basics. Yeah. That came down and they did, they approved for a 6% wage increase for the lab. Wow. Yeah. Which is huge. It is huge. However, it went to vote and it would have been immediate. Of course, there's only six of us voting Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it was just for the lab assistants at that time because we were done. Yeah. We were, were out of staff. Everyone's burnt out. Yeah. And when it came down to it, it was voted no. Why was it voted no? What it came down to is everybody didn't want a percentage. They wanted mm-hmm. to be retroed for the past two months from the starting. Okay. And they everybody just wanted a flat $2 raise rather than a percentage. So, so I, is it because a dollar 
a stated dollar amount number makes more sense than 6%? Um, I think it did, but I had to explain. On a percentage? Well, yeah. The way I looked at it is give everybody two bucks. Mm-hmm. But somebody who, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful whatsoever because everybody has to start somewhere. If I just started in a facility and I'm at the base pay and you give me $2 more an hour, doesn't mean I'm going to do any more. Correct. It doesn't mean that I'm, it, to me, I wouldn't be entitled to it mm-hmm. because I hadn't been there. And again, I'm not saying that's what happened, but in my head, that's how I'm playing it. Yeah. Whereas then you have somebody who's been there for 20 plus years. You're only giving me $2 more an hour. Right. Do you know what I mean? So the percentage to me was like, everybody got something, but it was based on your current scale. scale. Yeah. So so it's 6% on top of what your base salary mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. which to me is a better negotiation than just a flat $2 across the board or it's flat dollar amount across the board because it equally benefits everybody, yeah. even though a dollar amount does. But if you've been working there for 20 years, you want a little more than just a dollar or two. Right. So math. Got yeah. got to do the math, especially when it comes to contract negotiations. You really have to sit down and figure out what those numbers mean to you. And not only just to you, but everybody else, because it's not just about an individual when it comes to contract negotiatings mm-hmm. or a pay increase. It amounts to what is going to benefit everybody as a whole. And, and then that's hard. It is. But like I said, the $2 didn't set well with me just because, like I said, the two different ends of the spectrum. Yeah. Then what got me, though, was they said no on the retro. Oh. Yeah, which is what hung me up. That's yeah. when my vote swung to no. Yeah. Even though I was fighting for this. Right. You're fighting for this, but you're fighting for also retro. Right. But then it kind of came back. When all was said and done, we ended up getting the 6%. And we weren't the only department. There was, I think it was the entire pro-tech contract. And it was a mid-cycle increase, which is very rare in itself, which means we were in the middle of our contract and negotiated yeah. an increase. And it's huge. And what most people don't understand is you can negotiate these things mid-contract. Yes. Yes. The lab assistants got a 6% increase. There were some departments that got 11% increase. Wow. 11. That's wonderful. Yeah. With all of that going on, it, it felt pretty amazing. And then it made me, huh, I know more than I think I know. You know a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and that that's a, such a huge accomplishment mm-hmm. to get that done. So it was hard. I mean... And kudos to Brandon, because he's the one that really did do the footwork. I feel like we were her. her, I'm sorry, Brandon. (laughs) His cheerleaders. But I feel like we were also his ears. Yes. And we were. And that's huge. And that's what all workers Mm -hmm. need to be are the ears for the reps. Because our reps are not there. They can't be. They aren't aware that something is Mm -hmm. going on unless we tell them that's our job. You know, you got to communicate with your reps. Mm -hmm. You got to let them know if there's stuff Mm -hmm. happening that needs to be addressed. Right. Exactly. So I'm going to have Christina come back because there's so much more that she can tell us and educate us on. And I really want us to have an in-depth discussion about that. But I also understand that our listeners may need a break. This is a lot of discussion to have in one session. But to end this, what do you think are important things to recap for our listeners as the first episode? All of it. (laughs) (laughs) all of it we negotiate (laughs) contracts and kind of like what you just heard you're you're getting a a highlight of it but it is important to join a union become a member get involved make those changes happen help be a part of making those changes happen and if you're dissatisfied with something that's going on in your facility speak up we'll support you you know what's a big thing too is you don't have to be don't let people scare you from the union because you're people (laughs) 
just have a voice and don't be afraid to speak. Yes, exactly. Find your stewards, not just in your department. Ask around. Talk to your rep. Your rep knows who your union stewards mm-hmm. are. If you're too shy or you don't want to bother people, that's fine. Talk to your rep. And the member resource center. Yes. What is the number for the member resource center? Um, 1-888-210-3000. And again, you can go to your ufcw3000.org website to get answers to any of your questions and concerns.